In the fall of 2021, after starting our individual graduate careers, coming home to our little Brooklyn apartment felt like the only space that we could talk about school and our experiences with a shared sense of understanding. Each week of the semester, these conversations ventured off in different ways from how we participated with the class content, our classmates, and our own personal growth as graduate students following very different prior educational experiences. These late night conversations led us to wonder, are other graduate students feeling a similar way? Following the, that first semester and finishing our first full year of graduate school, we, Grace Aller and Hannah Warren, are hoping to take a deeper look at our experiences from our first year of graduate school, especially as we think about how community led to richer conversations and to new friendships. These are topics that we wish we had more exposure to prior to entering graduate school. Part one, who we are and where we are coming from. Hello listeners, thank you for joining us in this conversation. Before we truly dive in, we'd like to introduce ourselves. Hey guys, this is Grace speaking, and in this episode, we are talking about what it looks like to really be within the system of higher education as graduate students. And in order to do that, we want to provide some context for where we're coming from. I am currently attending the Institute of Fine Arts at NYU and receiving a master's degree in art history and archaeology. Although the archaeology part is vastly misleading, the only thing I'm discovering and uncovering is hopefully new concepts and ideas and artists. (laughs) I am specifically studying modern and contemporary art with an emphasis in American art and culture, curatorial practice, and institutional critique. And my program is pretty traditional in that I have two years of coursework with a written thesis at the end, and I need to pass a language exam to graduate. My goal with this is to become a curator of contemporary art, which is another reason why I moved to New York. And with that, I will turn it over to Hannah. Hey there, everyone. I'm excited to be here today with Grace talking to you all. I currently am entering my second and final year of graduate school at NYU. My program is at the Graduate School of Arts and Science, and it has the longest name ever. (laughs) Um, It goes by XE, Experimental Humanities and Social Engagement. I chose this program because of the creative space it would provide me. While a lot of other grad programs would have forced me to study in a more formal manner, XE allows me and its students to take classes all over NYU, allowing students the opportunity to expand their knowledge and learn new ways of applying their skills and passions. I feel like that name is like Elon Musk's next child. So we did a sort of flip-flop in terms of flexible educational environments since I grew up homeschooled in rural Ohio until I reached college. And then in undergrad, I attended the Columbus College of Art and Design, where I majored in fine arts and minored in art history and creative writing, and had another non-traditional experience since I was really just making art and writing about it. Uh, So coming to NYU was a huge shift for me because I had never been part of a liberal studies school before, which added to the mystery of of what the program would look like. Yeah, um... And I went to public school, which was a very, very different experience. Um, And I also grew up in a very small town in upstate New York. So those two things, you know, were a little different than rural Ohio. Yeah, a little different. Um, But when I attended public school, like, I was fortunate enough to have teachers that cared about our education and to also have the space to pick and choose my interests. 
However, one of the biggest things is that the dreams that I had as a child weren't really modeled to me in school. Mm. So I never really thought about those paths as something that was possible. Yeah. Um, so like such as being wanting to be a writer, there was always conversations about how that's not a real job or I would and still do receive comments about how and big emphasis on air quotes here. I must not like to make money. <laughs> those comments are product of ignorance of the arts and also ignorance towards jobs that are not traditional. Hmm. Luckily for me, I never really cared much about being traditional. Um, and I had people in my life who let me make choices for myself and a dad who had a career that he was passionate about and still is. Um, so passion for your work was always being modeled to me and is something that I really value and seek through my education. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and yeah, I was always encouraged to pursue the arts but had really different resources to do that. So I find it really fascinating how we come from such different educational and geographical uh, backgrounds and still ended up in a similar place. Um, And for those of you who are listening, which is literally every single person listening to this podcast, um, Hannah and I live together. So we came from this place and we're now roommates and life is crazy. So here we are. So why are we here talking about this? Well, both of us came into our grad programs with expectations of what we thought it would look like and to the surprise of no one, it wasn't exactly what we anticipated. Yeah, I don't know about you, Grace, but when I first thought about entering grad school, I was imagining a space where I would be working closely with other students and more connected to conversations with professors. What I was told about grad school and what I have since experienced have been two different things. Yeah, exactly. Um, So imagine this, you're fresh out of Ohio and you start your first day of grad school two weeks after moving to NYC by walking into a gorgeous 1920s mansion on the Upper East Side where you sit in rooms that a wealthy 20th century businessman used to host parties and you then talk about labor theory and art and how those two things connect to second wave feminism in the 1970s. It's wild. And while none of that is bad at all, it caused me to really question what kinds of conversations this physical space might inspire or how the history of such a building might affect how I show up to class, down to what I wear, and how I speak. It was all definitely really surprising. Well, imagine sitting in your first class of the semester, all of your reading printed out, annotated, and highlighted, and you're eager, excited, and shaking a little from too much coffee. (laughs) You're sitting there, talking with other classmates, enjoying your time, and thinking, wow, this is it. But then, when, un- when unpacking an essay by Ursula K. Le Guin, you make a statement about gender and how it could be used to interpret the text. And your professor tells you that that is not something you will be discussing in the classroom. Not only was I embarrassed, I left my voice at the door every time I then entered the classroom. My excitement had left the building, and I was nervous to take part in the conversations we had for the rest of the semester. I'm so sorry that happened to you. That is truly awful and not what it's supposed to be about. Um, And I think that a lot of times 
Graduate students are either expected to create space for ourselves to grow, but in reality, creating that space is really, really difficult when we enter into programs that are totally new to us, when we are working 20 to 40 hours per week to live, and we're focused on building our relationships and friendships outside of school too, not to mention performing personal research or freelance work on the side. This is one of the biggest things that we want to talk about here because we both feel that there isn't a lot of content surrounding the topic of what it realistically looks like to survive graduate school. Most of the content that does exist is from those who have already graduated from these types of programs rather than from people who are currently in them. Yeah, and a big part of how I felt was due to the fact that in the beginning, I didn't have a sense of community. I didn't know how my fellow classmates were feeling. Mm. I didn't have experiences like this during my undergraduate career because each moment of our classes were about making sure everyone could speak and learn from each other. A huge difference that I see between undergraduate and graduate education is that so much effort is put in for undergrad to make sure there is a sense of of community right away. Mm. But with graduate school, you really have to find and foster that community on your own. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that grad professors and instructors also tend to step away in order to let their students create that community amongst themselves, assuming that's what they want. But I think that in many ways, we could benefit from our faculty helping us create that community, being really vocal about events and conferences, and just generally engaging in a way that supports the shared experiences that we have. And I think that this is hard because so many faculty are conducting their own research or they have their own families and busy lives, uh, which absolutely makes sense. But I think that if this became a collaborative effort, I truly believe that everyone would benefit. And having a program with a strong sense of community is going to support the classroom and ultimately lead to happier students and higher quality work. I agree. A much bigger sense of we are all in this together, Mm -hmm. cue High School Musical, um, (laughs) would benefit everyone in the long run. Yet, I do see how there needs to be a space in graduate programs where the student simply needs to find their own way. Personally, I think that in these moments, growth can really occur, and students realize why they are where they are, Mm -hmm. why they are studying what they are studying. In saying this, I still believe that guidance and community building is important in these environments so that while we are attempting to navigate on our own, we still have a group a group of individuals who also understand what a situation feels like, how community can lead to more independence down the road. Yeah, 100%. It like starts with community and I think after that we can find our own way into becoming independent researchers and academics. Um, but I think very rarely it starts with isolating yourself and then eventually finding community. I mean, that does happen too. Um, but it's just a lot easier when it's the other way around. Um, you know, and our experiences are specific to NYU, which is a huge school and located in a huge city. And that certainly affects how communities build themselves within these programs But I think we can both say with certainty that creative programs dedicated to the arts and humanities have systemic issues when it comes to the ways that they structure themselves and create certain expectations for their students. These are just some of them, and we are here to talk about what they are and how we can start dreaming up some solutions. 
So how do we take our stance in our educational environments and make effective changes? Are these changes realistic or simply dreams of our student minds? <laughs> um, so I think one of the biggest challenges this past year has been having the literal time and the mental ability to try and build community and host spaces for open and honest conversations with each other. Our programs are really rigorous and demand a lot of our time and attention, so it feels like most weeks, it is all that we can do to juggle the realities of living and working in New York with attending grad school. Uh, Hannah, I'm curious, how has this been for you? Yeah, so one of the biggest things that has been on my mind about mm -hmm. going to NYU is always centered around like financial privilege mm -hmm. and is one of the reasons I almost chose not to attend NYU um, because let's face it while the like letters will look so pretty on the paper that they'll <laughs> hand me at graduation yeah <laughs> um, and it will lead to better opportunities down the road I knew when I was applying to NYU that my financial situation was not the reality of living and learning in one of the most expensive cities in the world. Yeah. Um, so I really had to sit down and think, like, is this something that mm -hmm. I can afford to extend my mental stability for, my yeah. financial stability for, mm -hmm. like, just pause my life where it was at and yeah. start fresh in the city. Yeah. Um. I really did think I was too poor to attend. Yeah. And that after real. I would remain still financially insecure. Um, but you know, you make it work while going to classes and working on my schoolwork. I do work at a bakery like full time mm -hmm. to make ends meet, which is actually quite fun because I get to, you know, be a student at NYU but also Work in a little bakery. <laughs> and I get cookies <laughs> when you bring them home. Yes. Um, but, like, you know, even still, I was aware that this was not the same reality of many of my fellow classmates who yeah. had the privilege of financial stability from, say, their parents or mm -hmm. from their, like, more careers um, mm -hmm. or their passions that led them to their program. Because, you know, some programs do offer a little bit more yeah. financial st stability than others, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, but experiencing this from my point of view was difficult and really, like, translated into the work and conversations being done within the classroom and can transform one's relationship to the education process. Because, like, I felt oftentimes that I was coming at you know, my school work from a very different angle. Yeah. Whereas somebody who necessarily didn't have to like think about, you know, mm -hmm. finances was coming at it from a different angle. So yeah, like I kind of felt like I had to fight to be where I was. Whereas like, you know, in my head, maybe somebody else felt like this was like, something they were deserving of yeah which is like we're all deserving of this education so it just became about like breaking down that idea and realizing that like no I'm here like I'm I'm meant to be here mm -hmm. and like this is the choices you know we live with the choices we make so yeah totally but what about you well I was just telling somebody the other day that um I you know, they were saying, oh, like, you could skip classes for that week and, like, come do this cool conference thing. Um, and I, like, the first thought that I had was, 
oh, I can't skip that many classes because they're too expensive. And I don't, I can't afford to lose all that, you know, investment. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think like missing class every once in a while, like we all do it, we have to do it. Um, But yeah, I totally think it's about realizing that this is my time, my finances and my energy going into this thing. I really want to get out of it as much as I possibly can. And, um, you know, so really the question is, how do you do that? Um, and you know, I've been thinking a lot, a lot about this too, and how to reckon with the privilege that I hold occupying space at NYU while also challenging some of the program structural issues while also dealing with the financial burden, the debt that I'm going to do for this. It is extensive. Um, but again, that's my choice. So I'm not trying to, um, I'm not here to complain about that because it, again, it is my choice, Um, but it's just a reality I have to live with and like plan a little bit more down the road. Um, But, you know, I think I've been wondering how do I feel both grateful to be in such a place and also kind of deal with, you know, some of the difficulties of the process that it took to arrive at this place, Um, you know, working overtime in uh, the year before I came to, to afford the application fee. Um, which I believe is about $150. So it's really not cheap just, just to apply. Um, but I just, I think that there's a lot of gatekeeping that exists within the foundations of higher education and, um, you know, such as the fee to apply. And for me personally, my program is situated in one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in New York on the Upper East Side. And the type of energy this draws is, you know, something to kind of deal with. Um, and I fit the bill of what the world of art history is, which is mostly college educated white women like me. Um, but in some ways I do feel like a bit of an outsider because of my background, um, coming from a really untraditional space and the way I kind of have to live my life here and work and, um, living, you know, in the depths of Brooklyn, it takes me about an hour to get to class. And those are all kind of things that I have to do to to make it work. Um, So yeah. What about you, Han? I'm just curious, you know, what other thoughts you have on this? Yeah, I think the points you're making too, like, begs the question of Mm -hmm. how much am I willing to pay? How much time am I willing to sacrifice for an education that might not lead to connections, right. that might not lead to opportunities, and that might not lead to a job, especially in the economy that we're in? Yeah. We're not <laughs> guaranteed anything. Yeah. Um, and am I willing to enter this space without the guarantee of security? Obviously, I chose yes. It is worth it. But that is due to the fact that I value learning and I know that it is something I am willing to take on without a single guarantee. Yeah. This is a big reason I chose the program I did because it doesn't guarantee me anything besides a wide array of classes and the opportunity to get more of a bang for my buck. I'll have more tools in my toolbox than when I started. And sure, that isn't a full-time job. But I know that it's better to have tools you use, you can use to build what you need than it is to have a promise that can be broken. All right, let's go. So true. So true. <laughs> so, Grace, do you find that your program offers security to all or just those that come into the program knowing they have a space in the museum and art world? I know it might be a tough question to answer. It is. It is tough. It's tough. But to be honest, I don't think that there's anyone in my program 
and I don't want to overgeneralize and speak for everyone because I clearly obviously don't know every single person but from my experiences I, I don't think there's anyone who enters feeling like they can't occupy that space in the first place security is baked into the foundation of the art history world but historically speaking only for a select few and if you come into a place if you know that you are coming into a place like the institute of fine arts and then go out into the world and get a job that's the ultimate privilege and i'm inside of that you know i'm existing within that um within that structure and this is something that i really do want to talk to my peers about um and i want to unravel the taboo concept that it's a really touchy subject because i think if i avoid it if we avoid talking about our own privilege within the system and the lack of diversity within my program and the fact that all of us are coming from a place of at least having enough support whether it's financial or emotional from people around us to even feel comfortable coming into such a prestigious program a really expensive program if we avoid that nothing is going to change. And so that's something that I I, I want to, you know, it's sometimes it's a little scary to say these things, but I think that that's a good thing. And I want to be, you know, I want to be willing to always at least have the conversation. I think the most important thing is to have those conversations like you're saying and, yeah. you know, like we have aligned ideas mm-hmm. and passions about like, what we're doing and why we're doing it but we also see that there are downfalls you know yeah there are commitments of our time and our energy that you know sometimes don't feel enough yeah and maybe maybe we put too much pressure on ourselves that like nobody's asking us to put on ourselves but we just feel that the name of NYU is so great that, like, we have to hold ourselves to these standards. Yeah. And, I mean, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but, like, feeling those things and then can be, like, very self-isolating mm-hmm. because you're, like, oh, I have to, you know, check all of these boxes and yeah. meet all of these deadlines and, you know, connect to all of these students and talk to all of these professors and, mm-hmm. you know, make the most of these two years but you're only one person, you know, if you have to work, like, say, 20 to 40 hours a week to live in the city, if you have to, you know, make sure you're getting enough rest, eating enough, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. taking those mental breaks that everybody needs, and also, you know, trying to produce the best work that you can produce, it becomes a lot, so, like, at what point, you know, did you, you know, say, mm. I can't do that. I can't <laughs> meet those standards. Mm-hmm. These are the standards I can meet. And, you know, when you did make that, you know, boundary, yeah. do you think it was received by other students? Mm-hmm. Like, did you make that boundary by witnessing other students making that boundary? Yeah. Or did you do it just because you knew if you didn't, you might burn out. Yeah. I mean, I definitely burned out quite a bit this past year and in really unhealthy ways, like 
physically unhealthy. You know, there were times where I was going to the doctor for things that, you know, were stress induced and that's not good. And I know other people in my program who were going through the same type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just, it's insane to me that we hold ourselves to these standards of meeting these grades and meeting, maybe not even grades or expectations from others, but the expectations we've set for ourselves, which are typically too high most of the time. And that's really crippling. So I think one of the things that I want to take into this new year is how can I just focus on what I'm doing, tune out the sense of competition, tune out the fears of like what this might or might not bring me down the road and just focus on, I'm going to walk in with like gratitude and as much humility as I can and produce work that I'm proud of. And that's way easier said than done, but I think simplifying it and distilling it down to just focusing on, on coming in and doing the best that I can do might sound like a cliche, but there's kind of a reason for that. Um, And yeah, so that's, that's kind of my thoughts, I guess. But Hannah, I want to hear a little bit about, your program and the experiences that you've had relationally, um, it, you know, is there a sense of competition? Do you feel like you are always pressed up against deadlines? Like what, what's that experience been like for you? Yeah. Um, I would say that, you know, I think that my professors do a very good job of setting up, you know, realistic expectations Mm -hmm. for us, you know, one of the classes I took in the spring semester was set up perfectly. You know, my professor had maybe three essays that you were going to write that semester, but they were all spaced out. Mm. Um, Our final project was spaced out at least, you know, to end two to three weeks before the semester ended. Yeah, that's awesome. Which provided an easier time to get through everything. I had Mm. little stepping stones to get through in order to complete all of the very big projects but you know not every class is like that some classes they expect a little bit more out of you I took a journalism class in the fall which was a wonderful class and which is one of the reasons that I was so inspired to do this podcast with Grace Mm. um because it was a podcast making class like that class was a little bit more demanding and Mm -hmm. you know I came into that class having absolutely no idea what I was doing I was like give me that recorder and send me to the streets I know how to do this look at you now and I you know I didn't know how to do it I was you know one of the projects I was just wandering around Prospect Park like looking awfully sketchy trying to interview people about their their dogs you know and I really grew in that class because you can only go up. You can only go up. Um, I don't know. Can you, though? Dogs. <laughs> dogs are the prime content of our universe. Yeah. I got some good um, barking clips. So <laughs> that really validated me, like, you know, podcast making skills. But, like, that class, like, I had to spend hours outside of the classroom recording interviewing yeah learning the equipment I didn't know any of it Mm. but I think I got the most out of it because I had no idea what was happening
So, with all of that being said, I think there is a clear difference to me, too, with how I approach a class mm-hmm. when I feel comfortable with the content versus how I approach a class when I'm not so comfortable with the content. But I've also seen how my classmates in those two classes are very different. Like, in my journalism class, I I was the outsider because mm-hmm. basically everybody else in that room was there as journalism students. This was part of their list of things that they had to complete for that program. Whereas for me, I was just having a fun time. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, this class is something that I'm now utilizing Yeah, with this experience. Um, but in my programs classes, you know, we're kind of a mixed bunch. There's, I could be sitting next to someone who studied biology in undergrad, studying cells and plants, or, mm-hmm. you know, I could be sitting next to someone who did art history for yeah. four years and potentially does want to go into the museum world. Mm-hmm. But like, then there's me, I had a background in English and creative writing and women and gender studies. So yeah. those are the things that I come into every single classroom with that knowledge and that right. you know passion so in the classes for my program we're so like diverse in what we're there for mm. like we're not there to learn one skill necessarily because we're bringing in all of our outside knowledge to that class so the way we all interact is different like I might interact with that class a little bit more because it's more of my interest versus somebody who you know that's not really their interest but they're interested in the material right like they're interested to see how their knowledge can affect and change class itself so like that's a big thing and I don't know about you Grace but like kind of to transition here a little bit is like and I I don't think you find this as much necessarily we've talked about outside of this podcast is that you know you have to interview for classes right and that looks very different than for me where I'm like that looks fun. Right. Like, I think I'm going to take that or like, you know, that I could really use that one day. But how is it selecting classes when you don't really have a choice? Yeah. Um, how is it? How is the conversation in those classrooms? Because like, I know for me personally, like, what I think first year of graduate like, school taught me was that conversation inside the classroom is important. But it really became like when I started bringing those conversations outside of the classroom mm-hmm. with students that I start talking to and garnering better conversations with like that our best conversations were dialogued and like I don't know if that has any of the experience you had or like kind of just want to hear about like yeah those things for you well thanks for sharing all that I um you know it's it's interesting to me to think about how your program is set up for people who are coming from different backgrounds to be in the same space and to bring those different skill sets you're bringing, you know, women and gender studies as like a knowledge-based skill set plus writing, which you do very well, and um, and poetry and like creative things and more academic things, although creativity and academia, I think, are go hand in hand, side note. But I, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because within my program, we're all art historians. Obviously, we have different things that we're interested in researching. Some of us are doing you know, ancient Egyptian, ancient Greek and Roman, others are doing medieval. Um, So those are very, very different um, in the ways that we engage in conversation. 
However, we're all art historians. We're all hoping to have a career in art history, whether that be in a museum, in a conservation center, um, in galleries. And so the goal is different, you know? And yeah, like you said, um, it's set up to kind of through course interviews, I have to, um, I have to interview for my courses and or submit statements of interest that will be read by the professors who will vet them. And if they approve of me being in their class, then I'm in the class. And if they don't, then I have to shift gears and I have to do to take something else. And it's sucks for me if that other class is not something I'm interested in. And I'm only taking 10 courses through these two years. So what I take really, really matters to me. Um, and so it's, you know, that I don't love. Um, I understand why they have to do it in some ways. Do I think that there are better ways of going about that? Yes. Do I think that, um, for the classes that are really popular, whether that's because the professor themselves is really well published or, you know, a, a, a figurehead within the art world, um, or whether the class content and material, you know, speaks to a, an array of students. Whatever the reason might be for a class to be super popular, to have 30 students want to join when only 15 can join. You know, that, there's a solution there. I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know that the answer is always just trying to open up more classes. But what is the solution? What kind of, maybe you can join, maybe the professor sees this need that needs to be met and they work with the students who didn't get into the class to help support them finding another thing that might work better for them. Um, you know, like there, there are ways to kind of do these things, I think, that uh, help support us because we're paying to be there. Um, this is something that we're doing to receive information for a career and a skill set that we're here to learn about. And if we don't get to learn about that, then why are we here? Yeah. Uh, and I've gotten turned away from classes. Um, one instance was because I interview as one of the last people to interview and the class was already full, which is just a whole nother conversation. Um, and the other case was that my research interests didn't fully align with the professors, mm-hmm. even though I wanted to take the course to learn about the material because I wasn't as familiar with it. And the reason why they told me no was because I wasn't familiar with it. And I was like, I'm a student. I'm here to learn about this, you know? And so I don't, um, you know, I'm not here to bash my program at all because um, I'm very grateful for it. And I have learned a lot, just like you. Yeah. But there are things that I wish would be different, you know? And mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people outside of outside of NYU, outside of master's programs, fully um, maybe sometimes realize how much we get turned away from certain opportunities before we've even, you know, before we've even entered the space. Yeah. I think to like pop off of that Mm -hmm. too, is that, you know, I don't know. I've had a little bit of like imposter syndrome when I first started because all of these students around me were, you know, talking about their big ideas for, you know, their thesis or their big ideas for that semester or for their future, like all of these research ideas and collaborations and everything, just 
And I was like, it's the first day. <laughs> it is the first day. I have my little like reading printed out and annotated. Yeah. But that is the most thought mm-hmm. I have given to this. Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe that's bad planning on my part. No. But I just don't. To me, it's not realistic to think like, this is the project I'm going to spend these two years doing. Yeah. And like, I am. I think one of the younger students in my program, uh-huh. like I, I do believe there are a few people a little bit younger than I am, but I, I came straight basically from undergrad. Yeah. You know, there was a funny little year <laughs> gap because of COVID. We don't need to talk about that year. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to talk about her. She is in the past, <laughs> but you know, I did take a year. I stayed at home. I worked. Yeah, um, same here. I wasn't thinking about the next big research thing that I was going to do, yeah. or if there was a big research thing that I was going to do. Like You're trying to survive. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to survive. I was very afraid <laughs> and I also really thought I was going to go into an MFA um program yeah. like I applied to many and yeah I did get into some but like at the end of the day I did choose this program for the reasons I've stated earlier and yeah. for other reasons right yeah and I, I think to to kind of jump off of what you had mentioned earlier about taking conversations outside of the classroom um I think that um you know, sometimes there's an assumption within the graduate level of education that we are doing that work by ourselves and that we're expected to be these great networkers and these great relational people. And I do think that that's a requirement kind of, of, of joining higher education is you do have to seek opportunities if you're hoping to get as much out of them as you can get. But what would it look like if we did have more external support? And um, I just wanted to to catch your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, from what I have discussed with fellow students is, like, this feeling is that, well, in the classroom we have something to say, like, anything. Mm -hmm. We have to say anything to show our knowledge and interest in the discussion, regardless of if we have something to productive to say or not right which I think can sometimes be unproductive to the overall experience of the conversation and also the class itself so through our communal experiences we begin to build a connection through our shared classroom space however I do think that if there was more external support things would be easier yeah and in the beginning of last fall I would have definitely agreed that it was what I was needing or expecting but now I feel like with the absence of external support in times of need for support, I have experienced my like fellow grad students band together. Yeah, absolutely. I have too. And I think that it naturally does occur. Um, but you know, it's been really hard. Like there's no sugarcoating. Um, you know, there've been like many sleepless nights, many, uh, you know, stressful moments where, you know, I've, I've reached out to a peer like, Hey, let's, let's, let's chat. How are you feeling about this program? What's going on with you? Do you feel like you're on top of your work? Do you feel, you know, and I think, um, yeah, there are a lot of opportunities within my program to join student boards, to join student projects, the, um, graduate student association, GSA. Um, and those are all really amazing things. And I have, 
you know, friends who are part of those. And, um, I've done things like that too within my program. Um, but not every student can be a part of those things. There's only so much room. So, you know, I, I think what we're really trying to kind of, uh, nail down and like get at is like, how, what does it look like to fully embrace these one, two, three years of graduate school? You know, what, what does it look like to not just try to get through it, but to actually exist within it and really let this be, um, a full robust experience for us? Yeah. Like, is it enough to just get coffee with classmates and talk about what we can do with the conversations we're having in the classroom to Mm -hmm. make them conversations in the real world with people that don't have the privilege to go to Mm. grad school or to go to college? Like, how can we foster these big ideas, Mm -hmm. you know, whether they're, you know, political or art-related, something like literature like how do we take those conversations because they are so important and make them relatable and make them real because this is a huge thing for us now is that you know climate change like in my first semester class like we were talking about climate change and you know how is it affecting us and what we can do and just all of these questions but the entire time I was just thinking we're sitting in an NYU building <laughs> talking about climate change, which is great, but what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Like, how are we going to make a change? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if I necessarily found that answer, but I brought it to the table. Like, yeah. I brought it to the classroom, and yeah. that was, like, part of what my final project was, was, like, I have climate anxiety about this because, like, is there anything that I can do? Is there anything beyond what I'm already doing that I can do? How do I get other people to do things? Like, so, I mean, that's a huge topic, (laughs) obviously. Mm. But, like, even that, like, how do you have those big conversations in the classroom and then translate them to Mm -hmm. the outside world? I mean, and I think it's really about, you don't have to talk to everybody in your classroom outside, But, like, it's about finding those, like, one or two people that, like, you can check in with and make sure your ideas are being heard and Mm -hmm. their ideas are being heard. And, you know, you feel like you can then take those conversations and take them into different parts of your life. And I think just, you know, sitting down and just asking yourself, what is it that I can do right now with this information, with these materials, um... You know, we don't always have time to make really good work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's like a truth that I had to really, it's hard. It was a hard pill to swallow Mm -hmm. for old Grace. And I, but I had to get to this point where I said, you know what? I'm doing the most that I can do. And really, like, am I, am I like trying to constantly be building my self-awareness? Am I trying to like monitor and check do like do check-ins with myself with my peers um about our mental health about how we're doing and like yeah and taking the experiences that we're actually talking about in class um and making them real and you know that's like the ultimate question mm-hmm. but here we are that's what we're trying to to do here i guess where we are now and questions for the future 
what do we do with these degrees? Rather than viewing these educations as a season to get through, but how do we utilize them in our future careers slash life paths? I mean, really, what do I even do with this degree? Mm -hmm. My family would like to know. I think my family is just like, I trust you know what you're doing. Go pop off, queen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... My entire educational career will have led me to graduate from NYU, a moment that my younger self probably never even would have given a second thought to. For a number of reasons, I find myself in contemplation of if this path that I am on will be worth the late nights, long papers, hard but rewarding conversations. But on graduation day, no matter what, I will feel a sense of completion. Mm-hmm. Um that is reward enough for me, I do yeah. believe. <laughs> yeah. But also, no matter what other program I could have been in, this program brought me to relationships and conversations that I otherwise would have never had. And for having the opportunity to exist with them in my life will serve me when I am beyond the walls of academia. Mm. I also feel that this past year has been really rewarding as well. And, you know, it's as it's presented opportunities that will help me down the road for sure. Um, Whether that be through things I've learned in class or just from, you know, working through what it means to be a full-time grad student, having just moved to New York city, you know, a few weeks before starting the program. And um, you know, I also know that this comes by way of me putting in the effort to make it this way because I really care about getting a lot out of this experience. And um you know, because I'm passionate about seeing the art world grow and improve. Um, and that's really what it is for me. That's why I'm here to to start to, you know, engage in those conversations and to engage in um, the the hopeful, uh, the hopeful result of getting a job in the in the art museum. So, uh, you know, what do you personally hope to gain from this next year, Hannah? Um, that's a big question. Um, but I hope that I gather more awareness of the potential jobs that I would be able to be passionate about for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and not simply tie myself to one cubicle for the rest of my life. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You can really decorate a cubicle to be a fun little <laughs> area. Um, but it's not for you. That's it's, okay. It's not for me. I do not feel. But this program and New York City in general has reignited a passion in me to reach past what I think is possible Mm. and to simply seek out opportunities no matter if they are linear or not and one thing right now that I think I would like to throw myself into more is um, a potential writing fellowship Mm. where I can focus on writing whether or not it's fiction nonfiction, or poetry um, just so I can give myself the opportunity to deeply explore my writing and you know, I think the fact that I didn't go into an MFA program instead of go like, you know, as an alternative yeah. was a good choice for me. And I don't think last year, this time in August before, you know, we went into our first years, I thought that like, I think I was really nervous that I was maybe making the wrong decision. Mm. Thank goodness mm-hmm. I don't feel like that anymore because mm-hmm. that was a really hard feeling to have mm-hmm. um because I think now I really I think I've been working on my writing and mm-hmm. like I think having not been in the space where I had to work on my writing was good because I right. showed that I that's something I just want to do mm, that's um, a really good point you know like 
when I was in undergrad, I was working on my writing every semester because I was in a program to do so. Mm -hmm. And I'm still working on my writing. It's just in a different sphere. And, like, you know, I get to talk to you about writing. And, like, you know, we had different experiences with that. And I get to find different people in my program who are also writers. And that's really rewarding, too. Yeah. Um, It's, it's like, it's, it's opened up this space for you to not, it's not forcing you into anything. Yeah. It's showing you, oh, I do enjoy this. I want to do this. This comes naturally to me. I want to engage in this part of my life, not because anybody's telling me to, but because I simply want to. Yeah. And it's so rewarding. And that's, you know, one of the best things that I have gotten out of this program is that I truly just get to take classes because like I can see how it will fit into my interests and to how it will fit into my future Mm -hmm. and how like these puzzle pieces can fit together in ways that maybe they weren't traditionally meant to. Right. Um, yeah, but you know, these are just like my current thoughts and feelings. (laughs) (laughs) A lot can change in a year as we know. Um, so I really just want to focus on what I can at the moment and mm-hmm. continue to build new connections and keep expanding my community at NYU mm-hmm. in a positive manner. Like, I think it'd be really great if, you know, we could create some type of network based off this um, episode, this podcast. Yeah. Because, like, I, if we're two little, you know, people <laughs> at NYU who feel these things, like, there's got to be more people who do. So, like, I mean, you know, if professors are listening and other students are listening and, like, they've heard these comments as, like, concerns before or, like, similar stories, like, Grace and I, I mean, I am speaking for Grace on this one. That's okay, you can. But Grace and I would definitely want to, you know, get coffee, host, like, a little, you know, night where we just sit and talk. Mm -hmm. Because, like, you know, Grace said earlier, like, these changes aren't going to happen, or, like, these changes, especially in our feelings, aren't going to happen if we don't talk about it, and, you know, we are as scary as it may be to all of the young people listening, like, we are the future of our our programs, almost, because, like, we're going to go off, and we're going to get whatever job we get, and people are going to say, hey, what did you go to school for, because we all get that question, yeah, um, and, like, when we say what we did, like, we want to provide the best information we can so that, like, we don't feel like our first semester people did, like, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Coming in blind and being really, like, okay, go figure it out. I remember my first day, and I was like, what do I wear? What do I say? I want to prove myself, but I also don't want to be inauthentic. I want to be honest about what I don't know, but oh no, like all these other people are here and we're all kind of in the same zone. And, you know, it was really, it was intimidating. And, um, I just, I, I want, yeah, like Hannah, I want to extend my, like, I guess myself to, you know, those of you listening and beyond to really just say like, you are not alone and this is hard. And, you know, I I know so many people who've gone through their master's programs and it's kind of just like this thing that they did, but I really feel like it could be so much more than that. This is a really important time of my life. And, you know, I'm not like this 18 year old kid who's like going to college and like, 
trying this new thing out in my life and leaving home for the first time and like really having my first moment. But I'm, you know, I'm a 25 year old like woman living in New York City trying to make it Mm -hmm. and trying to do like live my dream. And this is the next step of that. And um, it's hard, but it's rewarding and it's good. Yeah. I mean, master's programs can kind of feel like you know, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Right. <laughs> it's true. But that's also part of the joy. Like, you get to find the Yellow Brook Road and figure it all Ooh, out. Oh, I like that. You know, and figure out who you are in different situations and different conversations. Yeah. So, I think that's really rewarding. The moment you stop letting yourself grow is the moment you stop growing. Yeah, and it's the moment you hurt yourself the most. Like, right. you know, plants don't love to be overwatered. But, you know, they still figure out a way to grow. Yeah. Despite that. So you really just have to find the sun Mm. and, like, grow towards that. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, I am not in this, you know, master's program just because I want to get a degree or because I want to avoid the real world. Yep. Because what does that even mean? I am in the real world. Mm. I'm just also getting a degree. Like, (laughs) you are going to school and living your life. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not... Mm-hmm. a pause on adulthood right and like people really do see it that way yeah I mean yeah we're just here to like open this up and we really what we're doing here is just asking more questions than we are answering I don't know if we've answered anything although we've described our situations and our experiences um but just to reiterate like mm-hmm. If you're feeling these things or if you're going through this too or if you're a professor or an academic or somebody in leadership, um, just know that, you know, we're watching and we're listening and we really take the things that you give to us and Mm -hmm. every extension of your generosity and every opportunity you present, every conference you tell us to apply to, every paper submission that you tell us to apply to, like we are listening and we take those things Mm -hmm. and, um, and the more, the better, you know, and and that's, that's, I think really, you know, one of the things that I want to, um, want to present in this space. Yeah. Like you can't give us too many opportunities. Yeah. We will always be appreciative of those things. And, you know, every experience that we've had this year has made it so we can have this conversation and think about these things. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's really easy in a classroom setting to think that nobody's listening to you but you know I can't speak for everybody in my classes but like I'm always listening like (laughs) I'm always listening to everybody I'm always thinking about things and I know so is grace like Mm -hmm. like cannot stress enough like every single day after we had a class we'd come home and be like and then we'd be like okay we gotta go to bed we can't talk about this anymore but you know, the CAA has really given us a space for yeah. this podcast so that we can talk about these things. Yeah. You know, Grace said we didn't have an answer, but I think the answer for me is community. Yes. And yes. being able to talk to my professors, being able to talk to my classmates, being able to talk to everybody, like, we have to open the door a little bit more. Yes. Agreed. Yes. I agree. Ditto. Um, and, you know... This is, this is us trying to crack the door open a little bit, and, you know, we've titled this um, episode uh, Past the Door because we really believe that um, real change happens once it gets past the classroom and beyond that threshold into the real world where people are passionate about actually seeing that change happen. 
Um, so we just want to thank you all for listening and yeah. we're so appreciative of you taking this time. We are Grace and Hannah and we are so glad that you've been um, able to join us through this wild journey. Um, but I just want to say thank you personally and I'll turn it over to Hannah to end things. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, I just hope you guys had as much fun listening to this as we did talking to you. Um, and I hope that we talk to you more in the future. Like, I hope this is not the last you hear from us. Please reach out. Please. I know our little emails will be linked in our bios or yes, wherever they are placed on the website. But we really do want to get those emails. Yeah. Um, and yeah. We're here for you. Yeah. So whenever you listen to this podcast episode... We wish you well. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.